Welcome, everyone, and thank you for listening to the Top Insights from the Best podcast. My name is Zorian Rotenberg, and I'm the Chief Revenue Officer at Infotelligent, and I'm also your host today. Our podcast features CEOs, sales and marketing leaders, industry experts, and also investors, and you will hear their stories and unique insights about accelerating revenue and growing your companies better and faster. Also, this podcast is brought to you by Infotelligent, a sales and marketing platform that helps you win more sales and accelerate your revenue with buyer intent data powered by AI. And today's guest is one of my favorite in tech sales. You will notice very quickly why he's one of the best and why he's invited to speak here. It's Scott Lees. I think a lot of you know him. He's well known for Thursday night sales. I would call them webcasts that attract hundreds of people to show up on every Thursday night. We're going to hear a lot more about that. He also does an amazing podcast where I was thankful to be a guest. He and Richard Harris do one called Surf and Sales, and there's actually more to Surf and Sales than a podcast. I think there's an actual real surfing surfing event involved, and we'll, we'll ask Scott to tell us more about that. He also authored a book called Addicted to the Process, and he has a new book coming out. He'll tell us all about it. With no further ado, Scott, thank you so much for joining. Welcome to the show, and please tell us a little bit about yourself in your own words. Yeah, thanks for having me, Zorian. I appreciate it, man. (laughs) You covered a lot what I'm up to. You know, I've I've been uh, in tech sales for almost 20 years now, building and scaling sales organizations. Spent the first half of my career in the San Francisco Bay Area. The second half of my career, I've been based in Austin, Texas. I've opened offices all across the country. I, I run my own sales consulting firm now, and I'm a strategic advisor to somewhere between eight and ten tech companies worldwide at any at any given time. That's my main job, if you will. You know, I help early stage companies primarily. I help companies go from zero to twenty five million. I do all those other things you're talking about: Thursday night sales, surfing sales events, surfing sales podcast. I got a new book coming out. It's called More Than a Number. We can get into that a little bit if you want, but uh, yeah, thanks Definitely for having me. Definitely want to. You're amazing. I mean, you do so many things. I wonder when you have the time to do it all, but your story is also just really fascinating. I'd love to let the listeners kind of learn more about you as a person. I know you've had some personal challenges, struggles on a personal front in your life. You post that on LinkedIn at times, so I'm not really divulging anything confidential here. Can you please tell us more yeah. what, what you've learned out of those? Yeah, I'm an open book about all this kind of stuff. I don't want to spend the whole time talking about what I've been through, but I got really sick when I was 23 years old, almost 23 years old. And I got autoimmune diseases that spiraled into colon cancer and had nine surgeries, four major abdominal surgeries, two life-saving surgeries, a total colectomy. So I have no large intestine. Through that whole process, I got addicted to opioids and it took me four years. Uh, I was in the hospital more or less in the hospital for four years, fighting for my life. And once I got healthy from the illness, I had to get off the the drugs and stuff. So that whole experience, I think, gave me a different level of maturity and perspective than a lot of people have, certainly at 27 years old or in your your mid-20s. And, you know, you mentioned earlier, like, you don't know, I can't remember how you phrase it, but something like, I don't know how you find the time to do it all. My sense of urgency is through the roof, right? Because I know what it's like to have the rug ripped out from under me. I have health challenges now and will have them for my entire life just because of how I'm wired now. I'm operating all the time with like, I got to get this done now because I don't know when my time's up. 
I don't know when I'm going to go get sick again and go downhill. So it's kind of a superpower a little bit, you know, and that's how I feel. Um, I that's see. the story I tell myself at least. I know it because I see you. You're an incredible individual. You're an incredibly valuable and value-add person in the high-tech sales community. You do so much for other people. And I've seen you nothing but being very positive and optimistic and giving yourself as a valuable resource to others just out of your sort of authentic. This is what I've noticed about you. And I'm, you know, kind of authentically, right, helping others out. I mean, and I value that in you a lot. And I respect that quite a great deal. I think a lot of people when they're in sales or in any job really struggle with various things at work and they get frustrated and they come home and they complain. But putting that in the context of you and what you've gone through personally, that's nothing. I mean, you've gone through so much more and that people should look up to you. And I do myself on many levels because, you know, a lot of the things we struggle with, you know, hey, somebody hung up on, on some cold call, like who cares? Like, yeah. I mean, that's what I, that's, what I, that's what I mean when I say, you know, I got this different perspective early, right? I never had a job until I was 27, by the way. You know, I got, I got paid to coach or play sports. I played, you know, two sports in college. And so it's not like I had sales experience, let alone cold calling experience, you know, once I got healthy. What I did have, again, is this perspective. So it's like, you think I care about somebody hanging up on me after what I've been through? Are you fucking kidding yeah. me? Like this, there's no fear. There's no fear there, yeah. right? And, and even like job security, like what's the worst thing that's going to happen? Oh, Z, you're going to fire me? Okay, I'll find another job. Big deal, yeah. right? And you know, some of these things that are, they're not frivolous, but like they just pale in comparison to real human tragedy and struggle. And, yeah. and so it was very freeing for me to enter the world of sales unburdened by some of the things that stress other people out. I agree. It's definitely a superpower, even though it was founded in a very tragic health crisis for you personally. So yeah. like the word superpower comes in context. Like it's unfortunate that you obtain it from that perspective, but it is what it is. It is what and it is. Incredible. I, I certainly yeah. don't recommend somebody going through hell and back in order to get this yeah. kind of perspective, of course. Yeah. I decided a long time ago that I was going to own the narrative around this and I'm, I'm not going to let this control the rest of my life and my future and throw a pity party for myself. And yeah. I want to find a way to spin it into a positive. And even if I'm delusional about it, this is the story I tell myself to keep myself going, to stay motivated, to stay confident and whatnot. So I use the word superpower for a reason because I'm, I'm trying to, you know, pump myself up a little bit. But it is. It is. I think superpower means you have a power, something that, you know, makes you strong. And it's super because it's probably sort of in the context of everyone else. It's much more intense yeah. uh, of a power that you possess than an average sort of benchmark. And you definitely have that. I mean, listen, let's be honest. I mean, you're doing all these events and a lot of it adds a tremendous value. I've seen it myself to other people, especially a lot of the junior crowd that comes into the business world in SaaS and tech on the sales side, maybe even some marketing. And, you know, we just started talking about this right before we started recording the episode, last night's Thursday night sales. And you just said just this month alone, you helped a couple of people find a job. How yeah, I think, I think at least six that I can think of right off the top it's of incredible. my head. Yeah, that's incredible. That's, that's 
It's just through the Thursday night sales community and my Patreon community. You know, part of what we do is talk to people about their career and give them advice on everything from like, you know, how to interview to what your resume should look like. But more than that, it's like, I, I have a big network, right? And so, you know, if Z comes to me or God comes to me and it's like, I lost my job, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, well, what do you want to do? You know, where are you at? What are you looking for? I know these people, right? So I'm just making intros and, and connections all over the place. It's a wonderful feeling, man, to uh, to help people who are, you know, struggling a little bit, you know, trying to find a gig and, and connect them with somebody who's hiring and the matches, right? It's like, you know, six, I'm not a recruiter, by the way, right? So I just, yeah, I help six, just... six people get hired this month. It's pretty, I feel pretty good about it. You know? Yeah, you're not doing this for money. You're doing it because you're helping the community. And, and yeah. I find that story is just incredible of how helpful you are to others and how much time you're dedicating to help the community. I think it's huge. So let's Thursday night sales. I want to talk to you about really briefly, kind of not necessarily, necessarily lightning round, but just give us some quick uh, insights here. So Thursday night sales, surf and sales event, surf and sales podcast. Let's start with Thursday night sales because we just talked about it. Yeah. How did this come about and why did you decide to do it and maintain it? Yeah, it kind of tied into each other a little bit. But like my last surf and sales event was at the end of February of this year. It was right before COVID like really exploded and, and took control of the, the world, right? So kind yeah. of snuck it in there. The first week of March, Justin Welsh reached out to me and said, Hey, man, what do you think about doing like a little sales happy hour? Because everybody's, you know disconnected now. Everybody's starting to work from home and salespeople like to go have a drink and shoot the shit and laugh and complain sometimes, right? Or just, you know, think yeah. about things. So I'm like, dude, that, that sounds fun. Like, let's do that. I think we had maybe 30, 40 people show up the first week. And uh, it was a lot of fun. You know, we just took questions from the crowd and, and whatnot. And then he was busy the next week. And I thought, well, you know, this is going to die if we skip a week here. I don't want to do, I don't want to do that. I, I kind of had a good time. So I reached out to Amy Volos, who I didn't really know that well. I, I knew of yeah. her, but she had been on my Surf and Sales podcast like a few days before, or maybe even, yeah. maybe even the day before, like really quick. And her and I got along well and had a good rapport. And so I said, Hey, Amy, you know, I did this thing last week and Justin can't make it. What do you think about co-hosting with me? And she said, yes. And so we kind of kept it going and then Justin came back. And so it was the three of us for a couple months, maybe. And then Justin left months ago to pursue his own project and whatnot. And so Amy Volos yeah. and I have been hosting it. Thursday Night Sales is the world's longest running virtual sales happy hour. I think we've done something like 35 weeks in a row. We haven't missed a single week. It starts at 8 o'clock Eastern every Thursday night. And I'm not playing. It goes till probably midnight or 2 a.m. almost every single week. That's where incredible. That's incredible. Anywhere from, I think the smallest number that we've had in the last few months is like 120 something. And I think we peaked at like 420, 420 something guests. Yeah. These are people from all over the world. Zorin. There's people in Europe who are... I remember. Uh, up at 4 a.m. and people in yeah. India and Australia who it's morning coffee and people from all, all over the place, man. And everybody shows up and, you know, we have a good time. You sip a cocktail or whatever. And Amy and I field questions from the community and, and answer them. And people are super active in the chat. And like, this has become a very powerful micro community 
you know, I already talked about people helping other people get jobs. People are hiring each other, supporting each other. And it's, it's just, it's a lot of fun. And last night we had a Halloween episode. So we were all dressed up in costume and acting ridiculous. So it's a good time. It's open to everyone. It's free. Encourage everybody. It's incredible that you did that. I think it's incredible. And I think it's, I've been on one of those after I was on your podcast and it's just a great community. So let me ask you this 30 plus weeks consistently. Since this is top insights from the best, let's jump into interesting insights. Like, What are some interesting insights that you personally learned over a span of 30 plus weeks doing this that will be helpful to the listeners? And again, our listeners are CEOs, CROs, senior executives, investors. What can they learn for this for their own portfolio companies or their own companies where they're chief revenue officer? I think the first thing that comes to mind is these folks need to dive in and get involved in these micro communities because that's where talent is. And I'm talking about talent that is active and thirsty for knowledge and learning and opportunity. I mean, you're talking about people who have not, never mind me and, and Amy, but like I'm talking about people who have showed up for 20, 30 weeks and given up a couple hours of their Thursday to learn. These people want cold calling tips and emailing tips and management tips and recruiting tips and job finding and whatnot. That's one thing that stands out to me straight away. Like you're a CEO or an executive. This is where you go. You're, you're we've had a couple of people from the investment community, you know, Bowery Capital, a couple of guys have been on, for example, is the first one that comes to mind. Evan was just like kind of blown away. He was like, holy smokes. Like, look at all these people. There's SDRs, there's CEOs, there's CROs, there's VPs of marketing here. That's one big lesson. The second lesson, I think more for hiring managers and executives and whatnot is uh, there is not enough sales training being done inside your organizations. It is a bit shocking. I mean, some of the questions that I get, and I'm not talking about questions from 22-year-old kids looking for their first job. I'm talking about questions from people who've been in sales jobs for 10, 12 years. It's a bit shocking to me how rudimentary some of them are because they say, like, we don't get trained. We don't get it. Nobody teaches us this stuff. We don't have pipeline reviews. We don't have one-on-ones. And I can't... I can't. get real feedback from people on the yeah. ground floor. This yeah. is not just yeah. some poll of executives who think they're doing this. Right. They are I mean, these, real sales professionals telling the truth. Yeah. I mean, these people are crying out for attention and help. And they're saying, you know, man, I wish people at my company talked to us like this and gave us this kind of forum and that kind of thing. So, you know, we, we're under investing in our team. That's what we're doing. Yeah. We're under investing. I in totally agree. And then the third thing, and then I'll, I'll leave it at that. The third thing would be just how much help sales managers and directors and VPs need. Most of these people have no idea how to recruit, no idea how to interview, no idea where to find folks. And they don't know how to do things like build a 30, 60, 90. They don't know how to forecast. They don't know how to do a sales model for 2021. This is a question that came up in the last couple of weeks. Like, how do you how do I build this? How do I model out 2021? How the heck do I forecast what this team is going to produce with any kind of accuracy? I wish I was on that episode to, to chairman. Yeah. Those are topics so the, I love to talk about. So, the, you know, we're underinvesting in the leadership and then the leadership is underinvesting in how much time they're spending with the, the front line. Very interesting. So, and by the way, the, the topic of building high-performing revenue teams, sales, go-to-market is one of my favorite. From your own experience, and I, I realize we're, we're uh, 
We didn't talk about surf and sales yet. I do want to get into that. But just really quickly, building teams, right? You, you're advising and consulting how many SaaS companies in, in any given month? Somewhere between eight and 12. I think I have 10 right now. 10 right now. Incredible, right? So like, you're not getting your experience just like from one company over the next, oh. or over the past five years or whatever. You're, you're talking to a lot of companies, so you're seeing a lot of valuable data points. And over the past several years, very statistically significant sample size of the problems, you know, the lack of ability to build high-performing teams. What are some insights from you on how to build high-performing teams? Well, the, the first thing that comes to mind is very few companies get what works out of their head and onto paper, so to speak. Yep. They don't convert it into an actual kind of standardized and therefore scalable sales process. So the messaging is different. The approach is different. The tactics are different. The way, I mean, really, like the way people disposition things is different. You might have an account and I might have an account. We have the same conversation and I call it building interest and you call it like closed loss, like crazy things like that, that just make no sense. Um, There's no consistent sales process. There's no unified design. That's the big thing. And then trying to lock in their ICP, especially in the early stage. I can't tell you how many times people said, well, we can sell to everyone. And I'm like, well, just because you can theoretically sell to everyone doesn't mean you should sell to everyone. So how are we going to figure out who's the right type of customer for us right now so we can learn, so we can get some some wins, build some momentum and whatnot? And this could be geographic, but it's often size of company. It's often vertical or what kind of industry is somebody in? And so, so some of these founders, you know, they get enamored, I think, a little bit because they think, well, we could sell to everybody. But yeah. the analogy I use is like, you ever go to the supermarket or the, the liquor store, right? You're in the beer aisle and there's always these guys who are standing there looking at this like 50 yard long wall of different beer options or wine options, right? <laughs> and their eyes just kind of glaze over and you can see them. They're just like, oh, I don't know what to pick. It's like too many options, man. When the world is that big, you don't know where to yeah. start. So they yeah. need a lot of help narrowing their focus. So that's another yeah. thing to kind of notice. It's funny. I actually had a podcast with John DeVagian, who I had here about a week ago. We talked about narrowing the aperture, kind of this laser focus, and kind of that is the faster way to grow than just expanding it and being too broad and kind of being kind of all things to all people. I agree with you 100%. When I was at a company called Veeam Software and also a company called Acronis, these were unique companies. We went from, you know, when I was there, we went from about 18, 19 million to 100 in three years. Uh, very fast growth for B2B companies. And the consistent patterns across those companies to get us such hyper growth, there were many fold, but, but one of the key ones was just laser focus, right? Laser focus on who you sell to, laser focus on like the process. You talked about creating a process, right? So I couldn't agree more. I think a lot of people find this counterintuitive because you think you can sell to everyone. The problem is you're diluting your message and you're spreading yourself thin across the board. And, you know, and by the way, on, on high-performing teams, you know, this is a topic I, I really like to talk about a lot. Recruiting, you, you mentioned recruiting earlier. Obviously, to me, as a VP of sales, that's one of the most important things, if not the most important thing you should focus on, because you bring in a great team full of A players. We talked about what an A player means to me. Some people disagree, but but my definition is someone who's not just one of the top tier performers, but also makes the rest of the team better. 
but A players. And then even if you don't do everything else perfectly, you have amazing people who can execute. So your opinion, like, what do you look for when you're advising companies on recruiting great people and recruiting well? This is one of the overlooked and undervalued reasons why having a large presence and personal brand as a VP of sales matters. And I'll give you a a direct example. I did not spend a single dime in the last probably 10 years of building and scaling sales orgs. And I had hundreds of salespeople on these teams. And the reason that was possible is because I had put a lot of time and energy and then taught my sales managers and my reps what was working for me. And so we would get flooded with inquiries that were like, hey, every time I go on LinkedIn, all I do is see these posts from all of these people at Qualia here in in Austin. Like, what the heck do you guys do? And then everybody ends up wanting to work there, right? Because if if you're seeing all these amazing insights from Zorian and then, you know, Scott, who's Zorian's manager and like, you know, a half dozen other people, the brand awareness goes through the roof. And I want to go play on a championship team. And I'm thinking to myself, holy cow, I could go work with Zorian and like 10, 12 other people. These are the people that I learn from the most every single day on LinkedIn. You can dramatically reduce, if not eradicate, the budget that you're spending on job ads and outside you know, recruiting help or even internal recruiting resources. This is really undervalued. I think there are, there's a few companies that I see you know, try to do this and do pretty good with it. Outreach is really good at it. Gong is excellent at it. There's a company called Gravy that you know is one of my clients that we're starting to do really well with this kind of tactic. But you're you nailed it. I mean, you're the VP of Sales. Like I would say, a third of your time should be spent on some sort of recruiting, you know, activities, networking with people directly, or quick little messages saying, "Hey Z, how's your job?" You know. <laughs> Looking, looking for something new or even, you know, getting on the podcasts and webinars and all these different things that are out there to, to get visible and build yeah. brand awareness for you because people want to go work for you. And therefore, they want to work for your company as well. So yeah. I, I really hope that any sales, marketing, CS leader, any leader really hears this and, and pays attention and takes it seriously because not only will it help you recruit, but it'll save you a lot of money as well. Yeah, no, you said something core to what I believe is people want to play on a championship team. And sometimes people ask me, how am I able to attract high quality professionals to the team? Why is it that I'm able to sort of find folks that are willing to take a lower, maybe salary, but a higher variable just to be on a team, right? And I think a lot of it has to do with, I don't know whether it's brand awareness for me personally. I'm not sure I have necessarily a lot of brand awareness, but I think certainly making people clear that they will join a championship team where there's a high growth, they're going to learn a ton. You said earlier that when reps go to other companies, there's not a ton of training and not a ton of coaching. My commitment, putting my own brand or whatever aside, because I'm not sure if I have one or not, I haven't measured it, but but I do commit to people that I will teach you a ton. You're going to come out being not just a sales rep, not just a sales representative, but a sales pro, a sales professional. There's a big difference between a professional football player or any athlete and someone who just plays that sport in like college or high school, right? And I think to that point is being out there and people are aware that you're like, even right now, like people will listen and I'll say, yes, like you're looking for something. I mean, I'm not using this to recruit. Maybe I should, but I would say, yes, you will learn a ton and I will commit to coaching, developing you, 
commit to your career. It's a win-win. So championship team concept, huge. You also talked earlier about, you know, a lot of the listeners coming to recruit, you know, coming, showing up to the community events. I think that was actually really interesting because recruiting great teams is so difficult. And the lens through which we can see the candidate is very like, we don't see a lot of them. But when you come to your community, I I see people there. I remember when I was joining you, who has the smart questions, who stays up late because they really are passionate about it, right? Yeah. And these signals are so valuable. We we just don't have them just by reaching out on LinkedIn yeah, uh, and, and having just a 30-minute conversation. And, you know, the rise of the micro community in the last couple of years has got to be taken seriously, whether it's a revenue collective or sales hacker or Thursday night sales or surfing sales or Rev Genius, which, by the way, Rev Genius spawned out of Thursday night sales. Or, Interesting. You know, Here's another example. Everybody knows that we need to improve diversity in sales. Okay. I don't think anybody would dispute this particular fact, right? Totally. There's a micro community called the Sales Brother and Sisterhood, I think is the name. And it is Black sales professionals. It's a community of 300 plus that get together, I think, weekly. And, you know, it's a safe place for them to talk about their issues in sales and what they're going through and whatnot. Now, Let's just say for the sake of argument, you're a sales leader and you are struggling to hire diverse talent. Where might be a good place to go look for talent? Why would I not reach out to folks affiliated with that community and say, hey, everybody, Scott at Scott Leads Consulting is hiring. We're looking for you know increased diversity, black candidates, female candidates, whatnot. Is there anybody in your community that you might refer to us so we can talk to them? That's a game changer. And the excuse factory is closed at that point in time. Oh, we can't find it. We didn't get these resumes. Bullshit. You want to find diverse candidates, move with intentionality. Go where they are. I agree with you. That's that's a really great point. There's so many of these communities, and and I'm probably doing a disservice to not shout all of them out, but that's what I'm... We should have another episode and (laughs) talk about that. No, I totally agree with you. I think this is actually a very, very insightful point. In fact, I'm glad we talk about it because a lot of people do say that, right? It's hard for them to find ways to get more diversity in a company. And I think you're absolutely right. There are communities. Until you even said that, it didn't even kind of hit me myself. But this is so interesting. And I, by the way, I know we have about 13 minutes left. We kind of did a shorter version of the episode. And I will have to invite you again because I always enjoy talking to you. We're kind of like, we think alike. But tell us a little bit, so, and I do want to get to the surf and sales towards the end, but your consulting work, you're helping at least 10 companies right now or any given time, you know, eight to 10 companies. Give us some insights from your experience over the past several years. What are some projects you've helped companies on that really move the needle, but in a way that these insights can help the listeners, the VPs of sales and CROs apply themselves to their companies? Well, the first thing I'd say is just a simplification of the message. Almost every early stage founder, and rightfully so, is enamored with their baby, okay? And they want to talk about it ad infinitum. Every feature set, every detail they think is beyond valuable and therefore should be included. And I show up and I'm like, okay, see these 100 things you think we have to talk about? You need to throw away 96 of them, right? (laughs) (laughs) Which... Four, which three are hard to do, yes, but necessary. And it's very hard for them to do. It's also absolutely essential in order for you to start your kind of outbound sales process. 
So the simplification of the messaging and figuring out what are the main pain points here that we solve? Why is it valuable to solve these pain points? Why should they be dealt with immediately? And then how do we actually solve those? Yeah, so I that, agree. that's the first part. Then the second part is building the whole process and the program out. It's building the sales playbook and it's creating these things like our ICP and our buyer persona and the, our cold call pitch and our, our demo deck and our competitive landscape and objections and rebuttals and what kind of tech do we yeah. need? And I could go on and on and on. There's all these things that ultimately comprise the sales playbook. And then we need to start testing the messaging. Well, a lot of times, you know, these companies don't have sales people. And so there's a little bit of founder-led sales going on. And so I work with them and kind of teach them how to sell a little bit. And they start testing things and they get a little bit of results. And then they're like, well, we need to hire some AEs, right? How do we do that? One of the interesting things about my consulting business is I've been able to bundle in recruiting services to what I do. Because like I was talking about before, my network is so massive. If I make one post... If I make a post right now, which I have not done yet, if I make a post right now that says, hey, everybody, Gravy is hiring three AEs and Agora Systems is hiring two AEs and Tao yeah. is hiring four you know, AEs, my inbox will be flooded. That's Absolutely. awesome. And so it's very, very easy and very quick for me to help people find a VP of sales or a couple early AEs. We get a couple of the early kind of anchor kind of team members in there, right? Yeah. And then at that point, you know, I just help kind of onboard them and, and act as a guardrail and make sure that we're moving in the, the right direction. Yeah. And that's how you build a foundation that is, is ready to scale. I love it. Yeah, it's interesting. You're talking about sales playbooks. A lot of companies don't even have one because they've written a doc file in Word three years ago and nobody has gotten around to updating it. Just very tactical question. Where do you suggest to your companies to maintain the sales playbook so it's always like a living, breathing, and updated document? Is it like a wiki or what is it? No, you know, I have no problem with a Google Doc. I have a problem with a Google Doc that is untouched in three years and never iterated upon. Yep, happens often. So the actual tool matters a lot less to me than the use of the tool and the understanding that what I built today as the sales pitch will look very different three years from now, right? Absolutely. And the pitch evolves and new competitors arrive and, and other ones maybe die off and new objections show up and we add yep. new features and holy cow, this new feature is actually solving more pain than the other one that we used to pitch. So we need to move that one to lower in the lineup and make this one bat lead off. Now, understanding that all of these documents, as you perfectly phrased it, are living, breathing entities. Yeah. That's what we need. So I care about that more than the actual tool. I totally agree with you. And in fact, I don't talk enough about sales tech. It's just because it's not the most important thing of all. But was just very curious, as you mentioned it, because there are tools out there, and I was recently thinking about researching, that proactively invite reps to revisit something, maybe give you points for taking some kind of a short micro lesson or whatnot. So I was thinking about that, and that's why I figured out ask you. But I couldn't agree more. I think tools, that's the minor, the most you, important one is that it's updated and constantly. You touched upon something really interesting there, though. It's this inviting reps to come back and look at it or relearn it. 
This is why sort of ongoing continuing education and certification, if you will, is so important in in sales orgs, right? Like I look, the last full-time gig I had, we had training and quizzes. I'm talking exams, like you're in school. Yep. You had to to pass the objections test. You had to pass the cold call test and the demo test. And if you, if your performance dipped, we had to put you back through it. Yeah. Well, it's had, a forcing function. You, you, have, right. like, you, had to, you had to reprove to me that you know how to pitch this fucking product. Okay. Because your, <laughs> your numbers didn't show it. So come on, let's get back in the lab now. Right. I think that's very, very important to give a little bit of a shout out to one specific tool. I mean, we used Lessonly, which is a great tool for this kind of thing. And we totally. just people through that, you know, over yeah. and over and over to make sure people were fresh and up to date, you know, because look, yes, I don't care how good you think you are. If you don't go back to the basics every now and then, you eventually find yourself way off course. And my mother-in-law was a, a nautical expert and won sailing competitions when she was younger. Oh, interesting. I remember her, we were out on the, the lake. This is 20 something years ago, probably. But I, I never forget. I remember her saying to me, if you're one degree off course, it doesn't matter if you're just trying to cross the lake right here, which is like a mile, yeah. right? Yeah. But if you're trying to go from, let's say, USA to Japan, and you're one degree off course, you are going to end up entirely in the wrong spot, right? It's an amazing analogy, yes, or metaphor, yeah. think about that with your sales pitch. How many Absolutely. times? How many times have you brought a rep in, Zorian, and the rep is like, listen, Zeke, I'm doing everything right. I'm pitching the same exact way that I was in Q2. I don't know why my numbers are off. And you're like, yeah. okay, well, let's, let's listen to your call. And you listen to the yeah. call and you're like, good Lord, what is this? Right? And you play it back for them and you play the Q2 call versus the Q4 call. And they're like, oh my God, I completely stopped whatever the thing is. I completely stopped getting a, uh, setting next steps. Right? Yeah. You're way off course because you've gotten too far. Yeah. Initially, it was one degree, but then it becomes far more yeah. magnified and amplified. I agree. Uh, by the way, I'm noticing we have three minutes left. I mean, you and I both have, I'm sure, meetings and calls at the top of the hour. And I really regret that this is going by so quickly because there are just way too many other things to talk about, which means I'm going to email you later. And we're going to have to have you come back. I know. Part two. You know, it's going to be hard to find time in the next few weeks, but we will find it. And I know we did not get to surf and sales, especially the event where there's real surfing. Yeah. But we're going to keep the audience intrigued and hanging. <laughs> they can go check it out. Surf and sales. They can go check it out. But more importantly, we're going to want them to come back again in uh, several weeks or a month when you and I are going to continue because there's just way too much to cover. But listen, I, given that we just had such a short time, I think this was awesome. I think the key takeaways here are you're clearly one of the best in the sales community in tech. Thank you do so much for the community. You've gone through a lot of personal health crises and struggles that majority of people are very fortunate to have never even like understood. And yet it made you stronger and you're a role model for everyone who otherwise thinks that their job is too difficult or things are too hard. They should look up to you and talk to you about how how you've dealt with everything you've dealt with, which is far more serious. So I really re- admire you for a lot of that. And I think the ideas around building great teams, ideas around you know things that are not done well from sales processes to sales playbooks, to how people should be you know from CROs to VPs of sales to 
even private equity investors that are listening in, where they can go to find great talent and understand that talent from multiple perspectives, not just like their static information on LinkedIn. So, and ultimately people wanting to play on a championship team. There's a lot of great insights here. I want to thank you again for joining and I'm really impatient to wait for the next time we talk because there's just way too much more to cover. Till next time, buddy. I appreciate you having me on. Hey man, happy Friday. Thank you so much. And I'll talk to you soon. Cheers. See you.